5 says this. In the beginning was the Word of God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not, not anything that was made was made. In Him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of man, and darkness has not, nor will it ever overcome it. Give Christ praise. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name you are, oh Jesus. And we lift your name high. We are not silent, Lord. We are loud, screaming Jesus. Let our lives and let our lips scream the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. We're going to do our declaration this morning and pray, and Pastor's going to come deliver the word of God. Let's do our declaration together this morning. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the real purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Father. We are assembled together in your house, worshiping your name, ready to hear what you have to say. Lord, we open our ears, we open our hearts, we open our souls to your word, to your truth in a world full of lies and hate and deceit. Your word is life. You are life. And we tune in to what you have to say this morning. We give you praise. I pray our pastor have liberty that he experiences and expresses the anointing of God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to read the word of the Lord to you this morning and get right into the message in Amos chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, Amos chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Amos chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth, Therefore, I will punish you for all of your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? May the Lord bless us today in the word. It is here in chapter 3 of Amos that we see the second and the main unit of Amos' prophecy. The unit actually spans from all the way from chapter 3 to chapter 6, so there's no way that I'm going to be able to preach this prophecy in its entirety. So, but I, what I do want to do, I want to deliver a part of the message that God was trying to get over to Israel and see how it relates to us as the modern day church in this 21st century. First of all, the main message in the central theme of the second prophecy of Amos unifies around the central thrust that there's an awesome challenge and cost to being chosen. 
In Amos chapter one and chapter two, Amos mainly deals with the judgments to the different nations, mainly Israel's enemies. But in chapter three, he deals mainly on the necessity of God's judgment upon Israel himself. It's kind of like a big brother mentality. It's like when I was a young boy, me and my middle brother never got along. We loved each other, but he annoyed me. He, uh, his personality was different than my personality. He, to me, he was obnoxious and he was always trying to boss me around as the baby of the family and I just did not like that. And we were always constantly arguing and feuding and fighting. But nevertheless, one time my brother became very nervous and I noticed it and I, I was a young boy and he was probably somewhere in the middle school age and I watched him and I seen that he was getting off of the bus at a different place there in Dudley where we got off. I thought, what in the world's going on with him? And I asked him, I said, Kevin, what's going on? Nothing. Even my mom detected it and began to ask him, Kevin, what's taking place? And you're nervous. You won't go outside. You won't go nowhere. What's going on? Nothing, mama, nothing. And finally, I heard through the grapevine that a guy told him that when he got off the bus that he was going to whip him. So I got off the bus and I thought, buddy, I want to tell you before you get to him, you're going to have to go through me first. And when my brother got off, sure enough, there was the guy waiting on him and I began to go in front of my brother and when I did, my older brother grabbed a hold of me and pulled me back. He's about seven or eight years older than I am, my older brother, but my bitter brother's just a couple of years and I was sitting there fighting my older brother saying, let me get at him, let me get at him, let me get at him. No, Kevin's got to fight for himself. He's going to have to learn to contend for himself. And I'm getting so mad at my older brother. And I even begin to say, are you chicken? Come on, let's clean this guy's clock. And no, Kent, you're going to have to hold back. You're going to have to hold back. And the whole scenario was, I can fight my brother, I can punch him in the nose, but nobody else better. And that's what God was saying about Israel. He was looking to all the nations of the earth in chapter one and chapter two, and he was saying, look guys, I'm God, I can do what I want, and I'll do with Israel what I want to do, but you better lay your hands off of her. And that's how love is, isn't it not? In Amos chapter three, verse one through eight, it clearly establishes the cause and the effect of Israel's election, and her accountability to God. And it reveals why that Israel defected from the faith of God through their disobedience. What causes us to be disobedient? What causes us to become sometimes people that when we finally analyze ourselves and we say, how in the world did I ever do this? How in the world did I ever get to this place? That's where Israel become before this book is over. They begin to say, how in the world did we stoop to this level? But nevertheless, verse one and verse two of chapter three served as kind of a topic statement for the entire chapter three, three in that whole series of prophecy. Listen to what it says again in verse one and two. Let's just read it first. Hear the word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel. The first thing that we need to do here this morning is hear the word of the Lord. Hear what God is saying to us in this 21st century. He says, uh, hear the word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt saying, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all of your iniquities. In the 1980s, the American Express Company had this slogan. It said, membership has its privileges. And in an ultimate sense, our election by God also has its privileges. To be elected by the sovereign grace of God is to be chosen and called to be his person, to be the, be the focus of his love and his providential cares and his timely interventions. 
In other words, what I'm trying to say is that the wonderful thing about being called of God is that there's so much wonderful privileges that come with that calling. How many knows that? How many's called of God in this building? Well, with that comes special blessings and special privileges. God's people get attention from God that no other creature on the face of the earth ever gets. I like what Psalms 103, starting with verse 3, or verse 1 says. Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his friend's benefits. A God that forgiveth all iniquity and heal all of our diseases. I like that because that Bible tells me that those that are called of God have special benefits, special privileges. Can I have an amen? You and I are privileged people. We are people of destiny. We are people of promise. We are people that's called out and chosen of God and we have special blessings and favor from the Lord. Can you say amen? Some of those is that he's a God that forgiveth of all of our iniquities, heal all of our diseases. Can you give him praise for healing and salvation in this house this morning? Amen. But it was clear that God told Israel that in all the families of the earth that it was only them that he had known or established covenant with. There was, they were a separated, special, called, chosen people. They were singled out by God with that special attention. With that special attention came privilege. God says, I'm gonna set you apart from all of the nations of the world. You're gonna be a different people, a chosen people. You're gonna be a called people and with that comes my special attention. Folks, the sinner may find grace and mercy in the sight of God, but the children of God experience divine privilege and divine favor from the Lord. The world doesn't have access to the things of God like us who are his chosen people. Can I tell you, God's chosen people have special privileges that the world cannot taste of, nor can they see of. Can I have an amen? As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that you and I have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And a matter of fact, God God said that he would withhold no good thing to them that walk uprightly. James chapter one, verse 17 says, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights where there's neither variableness nor shadow of turning. That God loves his family so much that he can't even turn from wanting to do good to us. He, oh, his banner over us is love. His banner over us is loving kindness. Hebrews four, starting with verse 14 says, seeing then that we have have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession without wavering. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find help in our time of need. It was David that understood that the righteous man has access to the things of God that the sinner man did not have. Matter of fact, in Psalm 66 and 18, David said that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And also, we know that it was John that said in John chapter 9, verse 31, we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. I like what the psalmist said in Psalmist 34, 15, that the eyes of 
the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are extended unto their cry. It was James that said in James 5 and 16 that it's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you those of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior when we accepted him upon that cross the wall of petition has been removed. I want you to know you who sometimes were far off you're made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. That which we were separated from have now we have been reconciled. I want you to know that the blood of Jesus Christ has given us free access to the very throne room of the Lord where we can bow our knee and God can feel every infirmity that we have and the high priest, the advocate Jesus Christ sits on the right hand of God to intercede for you and your behalf and he loves you so much that his divine attention and all of his attention is upon you and you only. Would you just stand in this place and give the Lord praise for what he's doing in your life. That's privilege. God's people get special treatment and they receive intervention from God that the normal man never sees or experiences. There's things that go on in your life that you are even unaware of. There's protection, there's provision, there's blessings that you have on your life that you are not even aware of, you didn't even notice them, you don't know how they got there. Why, there's a sovereign God that's got your, his eye upon you. I love Matthew chapter six when he talks about if his eye is upon the little sparrow. <laughs> How much more are you worthy than many sparrows? I want you to know that God even knows every hair in your head. And the Bible says that every time one little hair falls out, Jenny comes by one night, she said, we got a problem. And she started plucking gray hair several years ago. And finally she said, I give up. If I keep doing this, you're gonna be but I want to tell you every time she would pluck one God would remove the amount that was there off I'm here to tell you that's how much attention that God's got upon your life when you feel like he's not around when you feel like he don't know where you're at when you feel like he don't understand when you feel like that he's not he's not loving you that, he, that there's a block between you and him I'm here to tell you that your heavenly father loves you with a love that is greater than any love that this world has ever had it's an agape love. It's an unconditional love. And his eyes upon you. And he cares for you. You're his people. Oh, hallelujah. But there's one thing that Israel forgot, and that was with the privilege of belonging to God came also rig rigorous, rigorous, responsibility, rigorous, I'll get it out in a minute, responsibilities. Luke made it clear in Luke 12 and 14. He said, to whom much is given, what? Much is required. Do we really believe that? To whom much is given, much is How many knows much has been given to us? As a matter of fact, James 4 and 17 says, therefore he that knoweth to do good and doeth not, what happens? It becomes sin to him. You see, with privilege becomes, comes purpose. We are not only recipients of God's privileges, but we are called for his purpose. That's why that Romans 8 and 28 says, for we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Ephesians 2 and 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
You and I are created for the purpose of God. Privilege always follows purpose. And when the purpose is ignored, listen to this, the privileges are delayed. When the purposes are ignored, the privileges are delayed. Our lives is a theocracy under the, under the microscope of God and under his reign. This is not a democracy in the house of God. I want you to know majority does not rule. There is no vote. And let me tell you, a regular a, a popular census really doesn't matter. I want to tell you it's God's way or the highway. Can I have an Amen. It's God's way or no way at all because he's supreme. He's Lord. He's the one to be in charge. When we come in here and we're always thinking, well, I think or I want. Well, it really doesn't matter what you think or what you want. It's all about God being Lord, God being supreme. We as believers like Israel in the Old Testament are to seek to know and to do God's will and to glorify him as God over our lives. We're not to be in the faith just for the privileges but also for the purpose. I love the privileges. The worship this morning, folks, ignited a fire in me. Would you give us praise to, they were under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How many felt his presence this morning? Would you just raise your hand? You know what kind of what kind of privilege that is? Just to feel his presence, just to know that he's here, just the confirmation, the assurance, just him allowing you to know that you're loved, to know that he's with you, that he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. What a privilege we have here today. We're not to be in the faith, though, just for those privileges, but we also are to be in the faith for his purpose. Israel was elected to be a nation of chosen people. They they were set at the crossroads of the world to perpetuate eventually the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were to be the priest nation of the world. Amos chapter 3 summarizes the whole sweep of their salvation history when you read it. They were God's holy people belonging first and foremost to God. God says they're mine. He tagged them as his. He called them out of Egypt. He liberated them from bondage. He blessed them with the exodus. He brought them to the promised land. However, somehow through the years, Israel for forgot that her privilege was inseparable related to accomplishing God's purpose. Can I tell you, they forgot that with privilege came purpose, that privilege was linked to purpose. And can I tell you, it was like when the children of Israel came to the Jordan River. They had been delivered. They had been freed from Egypt. They are almost there to their promised land, and they come to the banks of the Jordan River, and two and a half tribes say this, well, we'll just stay over here in these well-watered plains. This is a good land. This is a good place that you have placed us. And a lot of times, that's what the church does. God blesses and God touches and what does he do? He does a good thing among them. That's why that Paul said in Philippians 1 and 6, he which begun a good work in you. How many knows that the work that God's doing in you is a good work? It's a wonderful work. It's a great work and it's an awesome work. It's an awesome privilege to be considered to be a part of God's workmanship and that God, I'm a part of God's workmanship and that I have a call and a destiny and a purpose in my life. But nevertheless, listen to me, saints. With that good land, came rigorous responsibility. 
and that was that God, they said, let us stay on this side. In other words, they wanted to get comfortable in their privilege. They wanted to get comfortable in their blessing. You know how many people that get blessed by God and get so forth and get fat and flourishing and they feel good and then what do they want to do? They want to stop. They want to set and they want to settle. This is for as I go. When I got news for you, when you think that you stand, take heed lest you fall because we haven't obtained yet. We've not finished the race yet. We've not got the prize yet. There's way more for us in our future than what's ever been in our past. And God's saying to the palace of praise, don't get fat and flourishing of what I've been doing in your midst. Don't get comfortable. Don't get to the place where you're satisfied because if you do, what does it lead? It leads to a life of ease and it leads to a life of selfishness. Can I have an amen? Have we not forgot that with what's going on around here that there's also with the privilege of purpose. When you lose focus on the purpose, it will lead you to a path of self-serving. That's why that Matthew 6 and 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added to you. Every heart desire that you have that is wholesome and that is holy, if you'll put God first, he'll bring it to pass in your life. If you believe that, give him praise. You'll have to forgive the heat this morning. We got a big, big air conditioner out. Pray that it ain't nothing serious, amen, because it's one of the most costly things that there is. I'm about to sweat down up here. Hallelujah. That means this is a hot sermon. Hallelujah. Verse two puts the responsibility of the election in the most personal language. Listen to it. You only have I known of all the families to be upon the earth. The word know there, you only have I known that word known there in the Hebrew is the same word that is used in the book of Genesis describing Adam. It's one of intimacy and not just mere knowledge. You know, it's not like God, I know you. No, no, no. When he says the word know, it's that same word, Hebrew word, where it says, and Adam knew his wife and she conceived and she brought forth a son. It's a, it is of the highest level of intimacy. And when God says he knew Israel, he meant that he knew them in an intimate relationship in a close relationship. God is all-knowing. He knows all of the other families of the earth, but he knew no one like he knew Israel because he'd done more for Israel than he'd done for anybody. And sometimes I look at my life and I say, God, you've done more for me than you've done for anybody. You're so wonderful. You've graced me. You've blessed me. Look around. Look at your blessings and count them. Look at what God's doing in your life. No matter what kind of hardships you're going through, no matter what kind of irritations you may live under, look around. There's more blessings than there is the negatives. I guarantee you, God's with you, church. God is with his people. Can I have an amen? But he knew Israel intimately, up closely. God cherished Israel with the tender, with a with tender love and mercy. God loved Israel like no other. God chose Israel above all of the rest back in the Old Testament. God handpicked and through his special love and his saving grace established the grounds for special attention upon Israel. And can I tell you, because of a covenant that he made with, their, uh, uh, with Abraham, there's still, still special attention upon Israel. 
The world may scoff at Israel. Everybody in the world's against Israel. Everybody's wanting to fight Israel. Everybody's wanting to annihilate Israel. They've been under attack ever since the birth of their nation. But I've got news for you. Jesus is going to come reigning and ruling out of Jerusalem someday. And he's going to put his throne there. And let me tell you, Israel is still a special chosen place. And God's got his hand upon Israel. Everyone who blesses Israel will be blessed. And everyone who curses Israel will be cursed. But again, Israel forgot that with special attention from God also came special accountability. God was saying, I know Syria, I know Edom, I know the Philistines, I know Moab, I know all the families of the earth, but through them all, I picked you. Line up everybody in the nations. Say, I know China, I know Russia, I know, I know Iraq, I know Iran, I know blah, 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 blah. But when he come to Israel, he put his hands and said, but I've picked you. You're the one I've chosen. Have you ever been a ch- child that's, I don't know why, always the last picked? That's not a fun place to be in, is it? I can remember when I was a little bitty guy and we played Red Rover, Red Rover, seeing so and so right on over. Anybody ever played that? I was a little bitty guy. And when I was little and stuff, I was the last pick. Because you had to run and you had to break through a chain. And if you brought through a chain, you grabbed somebody and took them back on your side. And when you were little, you'd run and you couldn't break the chain. Now I'm first picked. I don't just go through the change. I knock the whole line down. (laughs) Can I have an amen? And there's something that feels good about being first picked because the first picks means you're my first choice. I remember one time I spotted a little blonde-headed lady and I thought, man, she's a pretty gal. I'm going to chase her down. I'm going to ask her for a date. That was my little wife over there. Her car come through town. I jumped in my truck and started flashing lights, trying to run her off the road, picking at her a little bit. Finally, it pulled over, and them tinted glasses come down just a little bit, and I walked up, and I was acting like Fonzie. Some of you don't know who Fonzie is, do you? And I walked up, I said, hey, yo, man, me, you Friday night. I looked, and it was Penny, her sister. I'm glad Penny's not here because, well, I better not say that because she's probably watching online. (laughs) But it's good to be chosen. It's good to be felt special. It's good to know that you're loved, that you're cared for, that you're appreciated, that someone sees value in you, that someone believes in you. Come on. God looks down at Israel and says, I see all these other nations, but you're the one I've chosen. Amen. But again, with all of that that going on, they forgot that with that came special privilege. God was saying, you're the one I've chosen. You're special. You're the apple of my eye. You're the center of my attention. You're the affection of my heart. You're the passion of my desire. You're the love of my life. You're the one I care for. You are the one I cherish and I've handpicked you to become, and I'm, you're the one I have handpicked to become intimate with you, you and you only. And I want you to know that God right now is calling this church into a time of intimacy. 
God's looking down at the palace of praise and he's saying, I'm getting ahead of my notes. Is that all right? Don't even know if I'll finish this message or not. But he's looking down at this church and he's saying, you're the one I've chosen. You're the one I've picked. You're the one that I've cared for. I was dealing with a, a, a boy that was adopted by the parents and he was a, a tyrant. He was in such anger that his mom gave him away and never knew his real mom, never knew his real dad. And he was going through some rough, rebellious times. And finally, they sent him to me for counseling. And in the midst of it all, I'm sitting there praying and I'm praying what to say to him, what to say to him. And the boy's all mixed up. And, and I, I, here I am trying to figure out as a counselor, how can I get his attention? How can I make him understand? And all of a sudden, it hit me. I looked at him and I'll call him Johnny. His name was not Johnny. But I looked at him and said, Johnny, stop just a minute. Have you ever thought that even though maybe someone rejected you, that your mom and dad's got biological children, they were not there by choice. They had to get whatever came. But when they, but when they seen you, they had a choice. And do you not understand that you were chosen, that they loved what they seen? Do you not understand that you were the one that was handpicked? You were the one that they looked down and said, we see what we want and this is what we want. Do you not understand the special love that comes with that? And it just like a light bulb went off in his head. How many knows that you and I are heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ? And you and I have been adopted into the family of God. He's seen us in our sin, but yet he loved us despite our sin. And he came down and he chose you anyway. God commended his love toward us and though while we were yet sinners, Christ died from us, Romans 5 and 8. God wants you to understand how special you are in this place. He said, not, God then gives them the woe in verse two, as well as mentioning them of being the chosen one. He's letting them know, I've chosen you, I love you, but woe, there's gonna be some discipline to you, some correction. You, have, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all of your iniquities. Now, God wasn't hasty in his decision to bring judgment upon Israel. God only does it after their long-standing, persistent, compulsive sin, despite all of his warnings and their opportunities to change. He gave them opportunity after opportunity. God warned them over and over and over and over and over. And finally, we see that God has to deal with Israel's sin. Israel took for granted their divine privilege and thought that privilege would be granted regardless of obeying God or not. They got to the place where they got careless and reckless with divine privilege. They got to the place that they just thought, hey, God's with me. He'll always be with me despite what I do. Kind of like us coming in here and living carelessly and recklessly with our faith, enjoying the presence of God on Sunday morning and worshiping him and having great blessings and we feel him and we touch him and he touches us and he blesses us even when we don't deserve it and we walk out and we think because he blessed us that means he, that we're okay and then we go out and we don't do anything for him all week and we don't have any kind of devotions and we just kind of recklessly go through life and then we come back in again on a Sunday and every Sunday through God's goodness he loves us and he gives us grace and he, he's merciful to us and he shows us I care for you but there comes a time that God gets a belly for of that stuff. And that's what God was saying to Israel here. Do not take the blessings and the privileges of God for granted. When you walk into a church where there's presence, for heaven's sakes, don't take it for granted. Amen? It's just like old Samson. Samson was born, there was a Nazarite vow put upon him as a young babe. 
God told them, he said, you're going to have a Nazarite vow. There's several laws in the Nazarite vow that he's not to do. He's not to touch any kind of dead animal. He's not to have a razor cut his hair. He's not to drink any strong drink. There's a lot of different things that Samson was not allowed to do according to the Nazarite vow. So when Samson got up, there's one of the most, what I would say, one of the most uh, devastating scriptures in the word of God. It says, and it says, and Samson began to judge Israel. It said begin. Did you know he never finished it? He began. Matter of fact, when you ask scholars who's the first judge of Israel, one of the first judges, they don't even mention Samson. But Samson was a judge. He began to judge Israel. And he started off strong and the anointing of God was upon him. He was called to free the Israelites from the Philistines. How many knows that? All of a sudden we know that one day he's going down to the valley of Timoth to look for him a wife. And on the way down, a lion attacks him and with his bare hands he kills a lion. Folks, that's got to be the anointing. Amen? Sometimes you can grab a tiger by the tail and you can't let go. Samson killed the tiger. He goes down and gets him a wife and on his return some, some time past that, he's walking and he's thinking, well, I wonder where that carcass is at. He just wanted to see his victory. He walked by and there laid the carcass, but as he looked at it, in the carcass or in the skull of the lion, there was a beehive. The bees had made a hive and there was honey. And Samson thought, well, I'm going to get me some honey out of the dead carcass. And he broke his first Nazarite vow. He went out and he touched the dead animal that he wasn't supposed to. And he got him some honey. Not only did he get the honey out and tasted that sin is good, the taste of sin is good for a season. The pleasures of sin is good for a season. But he tasted that and that was beginning the beginning of his downward path because he took of that honey and he went on down and to his family and gave them honey also and he spread that, un- that unholy honey to even to his mom and daddy. Come on now. And then the next thing you know, he goes down into Gaza, Gaza. And he goes into the city and there he sleeps with a prostitute that night. Breaking the Nazarite vow. Becoming unholy, becoming warm with something that was dark. All of a sudden, the Philistines invaded the city and surrounded him. They shut the iron gates and locked them to where he couldn't get out and they were going to kill him. And see, he got warned, the Philistines be upon you. He walked out, I'm paraphrasing, you can go and read the story in its entirety. He goes out and he goes up to them iron gates and he grabs a hold of them, just crushes them, pulls them out of, the, out of, that, out of that wall several hundreds if not thousands of pounds, lifts them over his head and carries them for several miles and puts them down. God, even though that he touched the dead carcass and even though he messed around with the heart, God's grace is still upon him. God's blessing him. God's touching him. Can I have an amen? God in his ultimate mercy has given him a space of repentance. God's hopeful. His expectation is, please, I got to turn him around somewhere. I got to get this man's attention. It's not an immediate act. It's not an act of judgment. It's not a club upside the head by God. It's extended grace, love, and mercy. Can I have an amen? 
Oh, but he even gets even more careless. He goes down to the valley of Zorik. And there it means the valley of grapes or the valley of the vine. And there intoxication begins to happen. And he begins to drink. And there's the breaking of a Nazarite vow again. And while he gets drunk, he falls in love with the wrong person. Beware when you're under the influence of something else. It'll make your passion turn to something else. Come on, somebody help me preach here. I ain't even preaching my sermon. We're not going to get done with this sermon today. All of a sudden, here he is, drunk, toxicated, you might say, in the valley of grapes, in the valley of the vine, falls in love with the wrong woman. His passion turns to another, becoming careless and reckless. And you think by now God would surely get a belly full of it. Oh, but no. He goes and he begins to date this woman by the name of Delilah. Has anybody got a Delilah around here? Delilah then begins to try to trick him because she's been paid by the Philistines to try to find out where his strength lies. And she starts sitting in, you know, and asking questions and trying to figure it out. And he'd tell her a riddle and tell her something wrong. And she would do it and test it. And, and, and then when she would say, the Philistines be upon you. And he'd rise up and he would break the sunder, the bondages that he put on her. And that ain't the truth. That ain't the truth. Finally, one day, she cut his hair, which was the breaking of the Nazarite vow. All of a sudden, she said, Samson, awake, the Philistines be upon you. And he jumped up and he went out and shook himself as before, but knew not that the glory of the Lord had departed from him. I'm here to tell you that you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And you are to show forth the praises of him that has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're handpicked. He knows you like no other. You are loved. You are cared for. And with that, God's got his attention upon you. But don't carelessly somehow squander away the divine privilege that's upon your life. Can I have an amen? I, I can't finish my message because it's going to be too late. But God begins to tell us in the example of Israel that there is a walk. It's a daily walk. It's not an annual walk. It's a daily walk. Paul in the book of Ephesians tells them to walk worthy of the vocation in which they are called. He also tells them in the book of Galatians, walk in the spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. He tells them in the book of Colossians to walk. You, have, you who have received Christ Jesus also walk in him. Come on. He tells us to walk in love. Paul does. It's a daily walk. And then he'd go on and then John says that if we, if, if we say that we are, love him and know him and we walk in darkness, the truth's not in us. And he said, but he that, but, but then he goes on, but he, he goes on and says, uh, but he that trusteth or he that walketh in the light has fellowship with God and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's a walk, a daily walk, a renewal that you and I have. Israel had forgotten to renew their relationship with God on a regular basis. They forgot that this thing was an intimate thing. When you become intimate with something else, you lose your passion for the ultimate goal in which you were, or the object of the goal in which you were called to fulfill. 
And the church is so scattered so much of the time doing worldly things that we forget the great commission and the great command of God that's upon our lives as believers. That's why that John says, Love not the world, neither the things that's in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they're not of the Father, but they're of the world. And the world will pass away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen. You and I have a great destiny, a great promise. We got divine favor. And something God spoke to me, and I'm going to close. There's a lot to this message. I wish I could preach it all. But God spoke to my heart. And he said, Kent, I have set the church up and it's right for one of the greatest divine awakenings that this world has ever seen. If you believe that, stand your plate and applaud him. Applaud him. Applaud him if you believe that. Just remain standing with me just a moment. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, no, you might as well sit down. I feel an itch to preach just a little longer. I don't want you standing that long. If we're not careful, we'll be just like Israel. Do we not understand that sometimes the sin of disobedience is just as serious as moral failure? We look at the guy that goes out and sleeps with a heart, oh, that's sin. We look at the guy that gets drunk. Oh, that's sin. How about the guy that God tells him to do something and he don't do it? Sin. I heard a man say one time, everybody wants to serve God, but only as advisors. They want to come in and tell God, well, God, I think, and God says, I don't care what you think. Well, I believe, I don't care what you believe. Sometimes we come in here and we get general senses and because there's a general senses of population that backs our belief, we think it's okay. It's okay to commit adultery. God understands and you might get 50 on you and you go on Facebook and tell all about your poor sympathy and everybody jumps on board with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. No matter what everybody else is saying, God says it's wrong. Can I have an amen? It's not a popular senses kind of a thing. And so it is with our vocation. The great command is for us to go out in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Our life is to exist to glorify Jesus Christ and make him Lord. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.20, you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your spirit and your souls, which are the Lord's. You are bought with your price, you are not your own. Your life belongs to God first and foremost. One preacher said, if you don't get up in the morning and have your devotion, then how in the world are you going to follow his daily purpose and plan and purpose for your life that day? If you're going to follow him in the evening, you've got, you got to know him that morning. Can I have an amen? God spoke to my heart, and this is what he laid in my heart. You've got to believe it with me. If every single one of us would become heavenly-minded, kingdom-minded, take the keys of the kingdom, take our privileges and not take them for granted, have an ultimate, intimate relationship, a close relationship with Christ, seek him first, God will begin to favor us like we have never seen before. 
And then when he does, we're going to have a harvest. But here's the thing. We're not the key to the awakening. The harvest is the key to the awakening. And God said there's going to be people saved through the influence of the people of the palace to the point that key people around the region is going to get saved and they're going to have such an influence upon the society that hundreds and thousands are going to come to know Jesus Christ if my purpose is fulfilled. But if we're lazy about what we're doing, every day we're to have our devotions. Every day we're to witness. We're to, we're, every opportunity, we're, to, we're salt. We're lie to the world. A city set on a hill. God says, Israel, I put you on the crossroads of the world to perpetuate the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Christ would come, Israel would be the priest, and, the priest of nations that would perpetuate that gospel. But he came to his own, Jesus did, but his own received him not. So he reached out to the Gentile church and we were birthed. You and I. Now God has chosen us to fulfill what Israel rejected. And God's saying when the church, the Gentile church, begins to get involved in my purpose, that purpose is going to get a harvest. And when the people start coming in, there are going to be people, key people, that's going to have such a witness and an influence throughout the society that they're going to get hundreds and thousands of people. There's no telling. There is still a D.L. Moody out there in sin that needs to be called to preach. There's still a Billy Graham. There's still the the great John Wesley's. There's still the great John Whitfield's. All of those men. There's men of this century that need to be saved that can change the world. And you might be the key witness, the key person that gets that person saved. Would you stand with me this morning? I preached my heart out to you this morning. I would have probably been here another hour if I would have stuck with my notes because I got everything detailed and just best that I could. When I looked at it this morning, I said, how am I going to finish all that? Because it's so deep and so rich. But I got the general emphasis out that we're chosen. We're special. And just because God comes down and turns a bucket of honey over in your soul this morning don't mean that everything in your life is right. And what God done for us 10 years ago does not determine the fate of our future. It's what God's doing now. Do you not understand that what God done 10 years ago cannot even compare to what he's wanting to do right now in our present? The things he done in the past cannot even compare to the things he wants to do in your future. But if there's delayed blessing, Why? If God's not blessing, if God's not protecting, if God's not prospering, if God's not moving, if God's not touching, then why? What's delaying it? We got to examine that. And God showed up here this morning and gave this church liberty to show us he's given us another chance to get our act together that he's long in mercy and does not want to bring judgment upon the church. Because Romans 2 and 4 says, Why despisest thou his goodness and forbearance, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that bringeth us to repent? God wants to bring us to repentance through his goodness, not his severity, not his judgment. Why? Because he loves us, because he cares for us. He's given us chance after chance after chance, just like he did Israel. But there'll come a time, just like Samson, if we're not careful, we'll shake ourselves and we'll know not that the glory of God has departed from us.
I don't want to someday get up behind the pulpit and try to preach without the anointing because I squandered it by being lazy, by not serving purpose, by not being a man of God and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. God's wanting to speak to you intimately. God's wanting to bring you into the bedchambers with the king. You're saying, what kind of language is that? Go to the Song of Solomon. That's what he tells you. Every single one of you need to come to know God intimately. Where it's between you and him. Because it doesn't matter that on judgment day, when you stand before him, you'll stand alone. It ain't going to be everybody else that agreed with you standing there with you. It'll be you and you only. And God's wanting to plant some wonderful seeds, a purpose in your life, and a goal in your life. And then he goes on in that next verse, and he says, how can two walk together unless they agree? That word agree in the Hebrew means meet. They got to come together and reason together. They come together and they got to get on the same page. They got to get on the same agenda. They got to move in the same drumbeat. They got to move at the same pace and they got to have the same goal and the same destination in mind. But our problem is that we get so caught up in the blessing and we forfeit the purpose, and we get caught up in our own agendas, and our own agendas leads us away from the purpose and leads us away from the goal. Therefore, God can't divinely bless us the way that he wants to bless us. The blessings are delayed. He still wants to do them. His love ain't changed. He never quits loving you. He never wants. To, he never quits wanting to do good to you, but he can't. He can't enable your disobedience. So he wants to bring us back. A renewal at Calvary where we first saw the light, where truth came to us, where we got refreshed. And every single day we got to go back to Calvary. Joyce Myers, they asked her, when did you get saved? She said, every day. Because every day is a conscious decision to serve Jesus Christ. I'm asking you this morning, I know it's Sunday morning, I'm asking you to find a place for a little bit of intimate time with the Lord. And say, God, as an individual, as a member of the church, please don't let us squander away the high calling of Christ or the high calling in God in Christ Jesus upon our lives. Don't let us squander this thing over sealing, chasing, chasing silly agendas that is selfish and self-centered and worldly in fashion. Don't let the worldly overtake the spiritual. Let me be truly a pilgrim, a stranger, walking through the earth, being a light that glorifies you, doing all that you want me to do, and you will provide the rest for me. Would you come this morning and find an intimate time to just bow yourself before the Lord, say, God, refresh me, forgive me, put me back on path, let me get serious about the vocation upon my life, let my passions return to the one who saved me, let my passions return to Christ who loved me, forgave me, saved me, redeemed me, delivered me, healed me. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You can pray right there where you're at if you want to as well. Just ask for the sovereign grace of God to hit us again with renewal and refreshing. In the name of Jesus.
Say, Lord, I want my life to exist to glorify your name. Oh, I want to be your chosen man, your chosen woman. I want to hear the whispers of God. I want to hear the still small voices. I want to obey the sweet responses and I want to obey those promptings of the Lord. I don't want to grieve the Spirit. I don't want to quench the Spirit. I don't want to ignore the Spirit. Oh, God. I don't want to reject what God's calling me to do. I want to witness. I want to be a light. I want to share the faith. I want to be an open book. I want to be a living epistle. Oh, God, would you help me, please? Let me be all that I can be in Jesus Christ. Oh, in Jesus' name. Father, we praise you right now. We praise you right now. In the name of Jesus. He is jealous for me. His love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipse my glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us
been worshiping. Let's worship Him. Let's worship the Lord. truly loves us here this morning. He'll never stop loving us. No matter how far away we get from him, he'll still love us. But that don't mean that he can always bless us when we're far away. The prodigal son was not blessed from the father, away from the father's care. It was only when he come back home that God was able to give him all that he wanted to give him. You and I have special privileges now what you have done here this morning is recommitted your life and a renewal. Do that every single day. But now don't live in condemnation. It's over with. Now start serving the Lord with joy. Celebration. As a royal priesthood, as a holy nation. A know who you are in Christ. You have purpose. Let God use you in a mighty way. And see. See for yourself that we are truly living in a manifestation season. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.